When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Before we get started, we wanted to let you know suicide is briefly mentioned in this episode. It's February 24th, 2016. Father Ryan's freedom is on the line. All right, we're here in the matter of State of Missouri versus Ryan S. Gevlinger, case number 15-HDCR-00277. He's at the old Howard County Courthouse in Fayette, Missouri. It's in the center of their town square. The judge is threatening to put him in prison for seven years unless he pays some overdue fees. We're here because he hasn't paid his court costs and he didn't come to court when I told him to. Both John Brown and his daughter Maria are in the courtroom. The sheriff is back in the room with him over here uh, on the right, and I'm looking at him, and, and Ryan is shackled at the, the legs, and he's handcuffed. John and Maria are investigators. They had taken Father Ryan on as a client a couple of months earlier, and they were gathering evidence for a lawsuit Ryan planned to file against the Howard County Sheriff. Father Ryan tells the judge he's broke. And apparently he doesn't work and he says he's not going to work. The judge seems ready to throw Ryan behind bars. Then Ryan's attorney asks for a break, a few minutes to try and figure out some way to pay those fees. And we'll go off the record. It's after this moment, the part off the record, you're not going to believe. Father Ryan sets his hopes on John Brown. They said, can you pay it? And he couldn't pay it. But he, he's looking at me, you know. And, you know, he hired me. Maria, his daughter, is looking to John to save the day, too. How could this poor man be put into jail? Please bail him out. He's so innocent. He's so great. Father Ryan owes $5,698.06. That's a lot of money to just throw down. But that's what he does. John decides to pay it all. Went over there and I slapped the money down and paid his fine. Here's Ryan's attorney. We've made arrangements to secure the cash, correctly pay the balance, to end the matter. Very well. Very well. Maria is watching the sheriff. You could just see his jaw drop because everybody was expecting Ryan to go to jail. And just like that, Father Ryan is free to leave. Russ, the guy who arrested Ryan, grabs John before he leaves. And he says, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? He was in a rage. And I said, he's my client. <laughs> and as far as I know, he's innocent. Not just innocent of the probation violation that put Ryan in court that day. At the time, my daughter and I both thought he was a priest. Like, for real. And we thought these police were doing him wrong and, you know, trodden on his rights as a priest. How much of a fool I was. From Neon Hum Media, I'm Alex Schumann, and this is Smokescreen Fake Priest.
To understand why John would make this kind of decision, we have to go back a little. It's January 2016, a month before that sentencing hearing where everything was on the line. John and Maria Brown have moved Father Ryan, their client, into an empty home they owned in Columbia, a city in central Missouri. It's home to the University of Missouri, and about 40 miles south from Armstrong, the small town where Father Ryan had opened his abbey. Maria took the lead on the case. She would spend hours with Ryan. She'd take him to run errands, or sometimes they would just talk. We just began building a friendship, building a rapport, and then he would give me details of his case. I would then document the facts and then go research them and pass them on to John and the attorney so that we could, we could build his case. The case they're building is against the Howard County Sheriff Department and Russ Harrison. Father Ryan has convinced them that Russ was out to get him. Ryan wanted to sue, but in order to win, he needed evidence. John and Maria were hired to help him gather it. What's a little confusing is that John is also good friends with Russ, the guy who wanted to put Father Ryan in jail. We had been friends for about 25 years or more. But John and Maria still took Father Ryan's case. They saw flaws in Russ's investigation. But the whole situation was delicate. I didn't tell Father Ryan that I knew Russ Harrison on a personal level. And since he had this vendetta against Russ for writing this false probable cause statement, Maria and John really believed Russ messed up. The probable cause statement was junk. I've been doing, uh, I've been an investigator since 1993, and it was just junk. You could see it was so biased and it was fabricated. They bought Father Ryan's story that there was sort of a conspiracy to get him locked up. In fact, during one of her talks with Father Ryan, Maria learned that Russ may have had a unique motive. Just a couple of weeks after we put him in the house, he let me know that Russ Harrison had pursued him sexually. In other words, Maria is saying Father Ryan told her Russell Harrison had hit on him, pursued him. And when Father Ryan didn't welcome his advances, Russ got pissed. Maria didn't think this case was entirely about elder abuse. She suspected it was about love and revenge. I wanted to extract the facts from their relationship because I had, I guess, hypothesized that this was a love affair that had gone wrong. She thought Russ could have arrested Father Ryan out of spite. Russ didn't actually use facts for that probable cause statement. He let his personal emotions get involved and to say, hey, if you don't want to be my lover, well, I'm going to just put you in jail and then I'm going to see you every day. That's an incredible accusation. But the Browns don't make it lightly. Well, it's a possibility. I know Russell Harrison for 26 years. He was my dentist. And it's a possibility. What John's saying here is that he thinks his old friend could have had a romantic relationship with Father Ryan. But it wasn't just speculation. 
John and Maria did their own investigation, too. Here they are interviewing neighbors of Father Ryan's church. It's February 2016. Did you ever see a, a, a man in uniform around there very often? Oh, yes. The neighbors saw Russ park outside to go to Sunday services. Did you ever see him other than Sundays, like throughout the week? Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, he was there quite often. Was he in uniform? Oh, yes. They noticed Russ at the church a lot. Well, he'd be here two or three times a week, four times a week, maybe twice a day at times. Sometimes he'd be here for 10, 15 minutes. Sometimes he'd be here for an hour or so. Their investigation was pointing John and Maria in a certain direction, one they knew would sound shocking to a lot of people. They were quick to remind me that as investigators and expert witnesses, their income is totally dependent on how reliable they appear in court. If we lie, we're dead. If we lie about about this stuff, it's over. You know, they pay me a lot of money, and they trust my work, and they trust Maria's work. If Maria and I ever told a lie, we would be impeached. And if you're impeached as an expert witness, do you think a law firm will hire you? To get to the bottom of what really happened with the two men, Maria goes back and forth between them, talking to both Russ and Father Ryan. So I'd have, I'd meet with, there were a couple of times where I'd meet Russ Harrison and he'd tell me his backstory and his interactions with Ryan. Ryan doesn't know that I know Russ. Then he's telling me his perspective on their relationship. She kept them both in the dark so she could get them to talk freely. And they did. And I think by me validating Ryan, that's why he, he started talking about the closeness of the relationship. I talked to Russ Harrison. He said he couldn't do an interview, but that he identified as a straight man. He denied John's claims, including the whole idea that he ever hit on Father Ryan. Maria and John collected enough proof of the relationship that it was included in the lawsuit against Howard County and Russ. It was framed as a possible motive for Russ to push the charges even though the alleged victim, Patricia, didn't want the case to move forward. Father never suggested, he never said anything about wanting any of my money. He never said anything about getting any part of the farm. Ryan's lawsuit accused Russ of lying and the sheriff's office of being negligent. The lawsuit also alleged Ryan was mistreated in jail. Oh, it was horrible. It was pathetic how they were treating this man. I promise you that jail was hell. The lawsuit accused Russ of making sexual advances on Ryan, advances that Ryan rejected. So Russ got mad and started accusing Ryan of crimes. Then I did my job, I collected the evidence. That's the mindset John and Maria went into that courtroom with in February 2016. They felt Russ and the sheriff's office were just out to get Ryan. Remember, They had arrested Ryan 22 days earlier on a technicality. They said he hadn't told his probation officer he'd moved into John Brown's property. John said he told Russ himself that Father Ryan was staying at a house of his. I I said, Russ, he's staying with me. I've got him. He's nothing, you know, nothing's going to happen. He's not running away. John's pitch to Russ didn't work. He sent 
uh, the police down there to arrest him. And the police went down, and right there on the spot, Ryan collapsed on the floor. He said his heart was bad. But that's Ryan's modus operandi, man. Anytime he gets in trouble, he collapses on the floor. But the police took Father Ryan in, and he would spend the next 22 days in jail, waiting for a hearing with the judge. Maria had been visiting him and didn't want to see him suffer any longer. And then towards the end of his 22 days, I had gone into his cell, and he just, he wanted to die. He couldn't take it anymore. He wanted to die, and he had the dark bags under his eyes, and he was really despondent, very, very depressed. Maria believed Ryan, even if at this point she was starting to notice things that didn't quite add up. She went to John, hoping he would do something. She begged me, and she was crying and crying and pleading with me, and I thought, wow, you know, I'd do anything for my daughter. She's a good kid. So I did. I went to the hearing, and and as it turned out, you know, they were going to put him in jail for seven years, and I stopped him. John wanted to make his daughter happy, to serve his client, to do the right thing. So he paid the more than $5,000 and stopped Father Ryan from going to prison for seven years. John was sure of himself that day, back in early 2016. But today, John is remorseful because of what he'd find after he set Ryan free. I regret that terribly. I regret doing that. This man should have gone to prison. He's a plague on this planet Earth. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer. But he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and very white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip-syncing... Their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers, Farian and Ingrid Siegeth, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. After John and Maria saved Father Ryan from seven years in prison, 
they still worried Father Ryan's case was pretty thin. They needed more evidence to back up his story. John wanted documentation. Now, it turned out, after Father Ryan was arrested, the Methodist church he had bought in Armstrong, Missouri, had been repossessed, and all of Father Ryan's belongings were still inside. But I knew that um, we needed what was in the church, boxes and boxes and boxes of documents in file cabinets. You're going to put a case together, you got to have documents. So I bought the church. In order to build and win this case, John decided he needed to buy the church. It cost him around $25,000. But what is absolutely unbelievable about this is that as he's completing this deal, John hears from Ryan's attorney, who's already inside the nearby hearing. He's across the street in the courthouse, and I receive a text message from his attorney saying, we need you here now. It's then, when John arrives at the hearing, that he drops about another five grand to get Ryan out of jail. In just 30 minutes, John spent more than $30,000 to help Father Ryan. It was a risk, because he also had no idea what was inside the church when he bought it. This church is a unique piece of property. The sanctuary is a big octagon. Father Ryan bought it from a French musician. The musician used to travel to the small Missouri town to take advantage of the church's amazing acoustics. Father Ryan instead preferred to keep the place quiet. I've seen photos of how Ryan set up the place. In one photo, there's a wooden sign posted next to a small statue of a praying monk. It reads, silence is spoken here. The floors are old wood, scratched and worn. John had someone record him the first time he went inside the church. So now that I, you know, I've had access to this building and I see the, the layout of the rooms, I better understand um, what may have happened. Father Ryan's religious artifacts cover the walls and shelves. Those pews Russ delivered look almost medieval. A big crucifix hangs over the entrance. It definitely looks like a church, only a creepy church. This is John's newest investment. It's such a gamble. He's now out more than 30,000 of his own money with no guarantee that he'd get it back, all to hopefully find evidence that would prove Ryan's case and help him win. One of the first things John found once he was able to get inside the place was a letter from the Council of Bishops within the American Catholic Church addressed to Ryan. Here's John reading it. The council has no choice but to excommunicate you from the American Catholic Church. This letter will serve as your final notice. So there's the first clue. That's just the beginning. This is the first big piece of tangible proof to John that Father Ryan is actually full of it. John then looked at the computer they gave Ryan to use, and what he found there really upset him. He got out of jail in December, like around Christmas, 
but here, December 29th, 2015, right? Just a couple days after he gets out of jail. Here he is posting, sincere men only, male for male, casual encounters. What's this? So he makes all of these emails and he's seeking out men here on Friday, 1 January 2016 at 1919. Here he's talking with one of, one of his people he's trying to entice. He's trolling for men. And each man that he's trying to troll for, he gives different stories like one, oh, I'm somewhat muscular build, extra weight makes me look bigger than I want, and blah, blah, blah. And then he tells somebody that he's a nurse, that he's in the army. John made it clear that he didn't care Ryan was looking for men. It's that he was looking for men while also claiming to be a Catholic man of God. This is great stuff, but you can't do this and be a priest. So how am I gonna handle this as an investigator? You tell me, how am I gonna sit in front of a jury and say he's, he, he's, he's a priest and all of this stuff over and over. By that point, John was confident Ryan is lying, that he was helping a con man. But Maria still hadn't totally turned her back on Ryan. She seemed to find ways to make excuses for these first discoveries. She thought Ryan might be gay, but he could still have gone through the process to become an ordained priest. She just thought he was struggling with how to balance his faith with his sexuality. I felt... At that time, I felt that he was telling the truth, that he really was a priest. He was just a conflicted priest, you know, who was gay. But as they spent more time together, things started changing for Maria too. His inconsistencies, they became more blatant. Things really weren't adding up. A priest is not supposed to have relations outside of the church. And Ryan had told me, I'm a celibate priest, but I'm not a celibate man. And then I thought, this isn't really making any sense. As Maria was starting to see Ryan differently, John was finding hard evidence of possible crimes. Since buying the church, he was also able to access Ryan's financial records. And then I start looking at other things. Like he started, I could see where he's stealing money. I had all of his financial records. I got them all from the church. And I started putting all these bank statements together. And for example, here on October 31st, 2011, and this is so sad. This man, I'm not gonna mention the name, but his, his father died and left him an inheritance of $47,850. $47,850 goes right into Ryan's coffers and the money disappears. I mean, these are the actual receipts for the deposits, right? John is now in a bind. He's already spent all this money Five grand for the fines, 25 more for the church. Countless hours of invested time because he believed in Ryan. And yet, despite all this new information, John still thinks Ryan's case against the sheriff's office is legitimate. 
that it's a winner. But he now realizes the guy he's helping is almost definitely a crook. And I'm looking at this and I'm saying, how am I going to explain this to a jury? This man is so crooked. Then John finds something else. It's the last straw. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. As John dug deeper into Father Ryan's records, he found more damning evidence his newest client was up to no good. John already knew Father Ryan had moved a few things from Illinois up to Iowa. It allowed him to avoid losing them in bankruptcy court. But now, he's got receipts for storage units that make it look like Ryan shipped relics, gold, and other valuables all across the country to hide from bankruptcy trustees. Ryan ships all the goods, the stolen property, down to these two storage buildings at this complex. So now he's got all this stolen goods, and they're hot on his trail. After Ryan got out of jail, he started to try to get these objects back. John's read the emails Ryan sent out. In them, Ryan isn't telling people he's emailing that he's Father Ryan. Instead, he claims to be Sister Maria, as in John's daughter, Maria. This is 2016, and he wants to recover either the money or some of these goods that he sent out all over the country so he wouldn't get caught with the hot goods. He turns my daughter into a nun, Sister Maria. Unbelievably, Maria even remembered Ryan being open about what he was doing. He had said, hey, Maria, I have emailed this guy that I bought some stuff from, and I've made you Sister Maria. So I'm going to make you a nun, and then you can, I'm going to correspond with him to see if he will give me back these items that were for my monastery. That made me uncomfortable. John doesn't know what to do. He now understands Father Ryan has fully betrayed them. What am I going to do about that? By this time, my daughter gets really alienated because she's being abused by Ryan. At that point, things deteriorate quickly between the Browns and Ryan. Maria felt manipulated and wronged. They're both done covering Ryan's bills. As Maria tells it, Ryan refused to help pay any of their money back. He said, "Um, I don't know, Maria, I don't know how to take care of myself. I don't know how to live on my own. I've, I've always had somebody else 
do it for me. That was his excuse. She stopped giving him money. So the electric and water got cut off, and I just let him stay there like that. And then he would just call and send me texts like, how could you do this to me? I don't have any water. My dog is going to die. You know, bring me some gallons of water, and I refused to do it. He stayed in the house for about two more weeks. And he left it a, a mess, and he stole whatever I had in there. And he disappeared. Um, he just left. Maria had had enough. She never wanted to speak to Ryan again. And then he kept reaching out to me, and then he began reaching out to John to try to get me to come back and be his friend, be his confidant. And I wanted to be very far away from him because he's very manipulative and he can make you feel extremely guilty. I don't want to be treated that way. It sounds like an abusive relationship, one that took a lot of strength to escape. Maria said it can be hard to admit when you trusted and believed in such a liar, but she wants to make sure no one else falls for this person. And you've got to process those emotions, and then you have anger, and you have resentment towards the person who did that to you. And then you begin to have self-doubt because you think, how could I let this happen to me? How naive I was. You have to face that and process it and turn it around and say, well, how can I use the experience that I have and share those feelings with someone else so they don't have that same feeling too? But here's the craziest part of all. After all the ways Ryan had betrayed John and Maria, they still stick with Father Ryan. At least, they keep him as a client through the entire lawsuit. Now, I guess if you're in their position, it's hard to know what exactly to do. They've sunk a ton into the case. I can't imagine how tough it would have been emotionally when you get stuck helping someone who tricked you. While it's hard to put myself in John's shoes, I do understand how he's sort of separating the case from the other more insidious things he started to find about Ryan. I have a job to do, Alex, right? So even though he's a scumbag and he's done all these things, I mean, even the lies, the audacity of him to present himself as a priest, and I know he's not a priest, I know that. Well, the truth of the matter is Howard County abused Ryan Gavinger's civil rights. They abuse it. That's the truth. John and Maria turned all their evidence over to Ryan's lawyer. The accusations against Russ Harrison, Ryan's mistreatment in jail, and the mishandling of the case. The lawsuit was filed in September 2016. About a year later, the Sheriff's Department and Russ Harrison settle the lawsuit. But I don't know what the deciding factor was. I just know they didn't want to go to court. Nobody will talk about this agreement. The sheriff, Russ, John Brown, Father Ryan, no one. I tried them all. They agreed to keep it confidential. Even though we're talking about public money, tax dollars going to Father Ryan. But because this is Father Ryan, there's always a paper trail. So while I can't get anybody to talk about it, I have read the settlement. 
Father Ryan agreed to release Russ, the Howard County Sheriff, and their insurance company from any future liability related to the claims in the lawsuit. Russ and the sheriff's office never admit fault, but they agree to pay Ryan $92,750 to drop his lawsuit. By signing, both sides also agreed to keep their deal confidential. That's why nobody will talk. It's not hard to understand why Ryan would have agreed to the settlement. More than $92,000 is a lot of money, but what he may not have realized is that the bill from his attorney would equal almost the exact same amount as the settlement. The agreement gave Ryan's attorney the power to take the money Ryan won in the settlement and use it to pay off Ryan's debt first. That meant the attorney could pay himself and John and Maria too before Ryan would have access to any of it. This time, it was Father Ryan who felt he got conned. That his lawyer had manipulated him, made him sign something that wasn't to his advantage. It might have seemed like John was helping Ryan, but in the end, John got something out of it too, because part of the attorney's considerable expenses included John's fee, and John's tab is long. So I have something called a day timer, and I carefully record all of this in my day timer. Every minute I started, every expense I had. He charges Ryan for everything he and Maria did, including the money he paid to get Ryan out of jail, and all of the time they spent on the case. I did generate that invoice. It came out to $51,000. I didn't know what it was going to come out to be. Really, I hadn't, I hadn't even looked at it because, you know, I have other cases I'm working on. To be exact, John's bill to Father Ryan comes in at $51,307.86. But he did offer a 10% discount to drop it down a few thousand. But even with that friendly discount, Ryan was furious. We met together at a truck stop and he was infuriated. He was screaming. And I think that this lawsuit was his, you know, million-dollar ticket. He just flew off into a rage. Ryan hired a new lawyer and filed a different lawsuit against his previous attorney and John. Father Ryan claimed the settlement didn't match his original demands. He had wanted at least $50,000 for himself, his gun possession charge vacated, and an apology from Howard County. He got nothing. He's countersued with all kinds of lies against me. Ryan also demanded John give him back his belongings from inside the church. But John wasn't going to give in to Father Ryan's demands this time. He was going to protect himself. And that is what brings us all the way back to that warehouse in Missouri. I sold a church for $25,000. Mm-hmm. I didn't make any money on that church. This warehouse is where John is storing many of the things he pulled out of the church. Ryan claimed in his lawsuit, John needs to return everything. But John said this is stolen property taken from followers. I have some of their stuff, and I want to give it back to them. John is seeking to make up for his mistake back in 2016. I'm, I'm really so sorry, and I apologize to everybody on this planet. 
I paid $5,698 to keep him out of seven years of hard time. I really feel sorry for that. I really regret what I did. I hope God can forgive me for that because this man is an animal. He's, a, he's an animal and he'll hurt anybody. He has no conscience. To this day, John is still fighting Ryan in court, but he has spent the last several years using his skills to build another case, this time against Ryan. He hopes perhaps he can repent and make up for setting Ryan free. And he says the things he's found could put Father Ryan back behind bars. We found hundreds of lies, and I believe he has something to do with the Coons murder. Father Ryan is many things, but a murderer? That's next time on Fake Priest. He's got old-time religion. Davis is cash in a coffee cane, and he makes his decisions. Down on his knees, he's a full-grown man, and he... Fake Priest is a production of Neonha Media. It is reported and hosted by me, Alex Schumann. The executive producer is Jonathan Hirsch. Lead producer is Natalie Wren. Associate producer is Kate Mishkin. Catherine St. Louis and Vikram Patel are our editors. Fact-checking by Laura Bullard. Thanks to Matt McGinley for our theme music and to Blue Dot Sessions for tracks you hear on this episode. Sound design and additional composition by Jesse Perlstein. And the song you're hearing now is Old Time Religion by Parker Millsap. Our engineer is Scott Somerville. Special thanks to Peter Manso.